question will come up. You know, I didn't see something, but you know, Uncle so and so, you know, that one. We're very certain that he saw something. When it comes to Canada, one man has arguably spent more time than anyone digging through that country's UFO files. And his name is Chris Rutkowski. He became so well known with investigating the unknown, the Canadian government enlisted his help to be their official consultant on UFOs. And that's exactly what he did for more than 20 years. We have a continuous record of UFO investigations at one level or another, in some depth or another, uh, right from the, the dawn of the early uh, beginning of flying saucers to now. And Join me as Chris steps into the vault to explore what the current situation is with Canada and UFOs and what has he discovered in the nearly five decades he's been looking into the phenomenon. Stay tuned. You're about to journey inside the Black Vault. That's right, everybody. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and making this your live stream or your podcast of choice. I'm your host, John Greenwald Jr., owner and founder, creator of theblackvault.com. And I'm always excited about shows where I get to, number one, speak to a friend, but number two, speak to somebody incredibly knowledgeable and, of course, about documents. And what we're going to be diving into, we're kind of traveling back to Canada. We've talked about it on this channel a little bit in the past, but now this is the man, in my view, the top researcher from that country, Canada, Chris Rutkowski. Chris, thank you so much for taking some time and, and joining us today. Glad to be here. It's an honor to have you. Your name comes up, obviously, all the time. Uh, well, last time I talked uh, about Canada, we talked about you. Last time I've seen documents, we've talked about you. Um, the audience saw it in the uh, introduction, but your newest, Canada's UFOs Declassified, this book is uh, available for ordering now. I highly recommend it. Just got my copy myself, uh, literally just hours ago before the show, as fate would have it. So pretty excited about that. So everybody, make sure that you check that out. Chris, you've been on the program before, but I, I if memory serves, I think it was uh, before I even started doing a video broadcast. So I'm just going to treat this like you've never been on the show before. And that way, my, my audience, which has been um, uh, growing considerably since then, get to know you a little bit. So can I start with you having uh, a little bit of your background and go through about how you got into UFOs and what is it exactly that you do? Sure. I'm a science writer and I have degrees in uh, astronomy and education. Uh, I started into the UFO thing back in the 70s. So yeah, I'm, I'm that old. Um, <laughs> And uh, my mentors actually included both uh, Alan Hynek and Stan Friedman. Um, met them both in the 70s, and uh, I was absolutely fascinated to, uh, to listen to them. Back then, um, I was just starting uh, into university and getting into astronomy, and uh, my astronomy prof was really upset that people were calling in to report UFOs. And he thought the whole thing was nonsense, nothing to worry about. Uh, and yet these people were calling, interrupting his research. So I said, I happened to be in his office one day, I said, why don't you just let me take the phone calls for you? My, my own little desk is right around the corner. And he said, sure. So I ended up taking the calls from people and I ended up talking with people uh, and listening to their stories. I would uh, travel out to their uh, homes, out to the farmhouses, listen to their stories. And I could explain, of course, most of what they were reporting as stars and planets and planes and whatnot but there were some cases that were a bit puzzling and i just sort of shrugged my shoulders and thought well i'm not sure what these were but there had been some flaps and waves going on in canada in the 70s and uh both uh, heineck and friedman had come up um, and uh the media had sort of you know latched onto them uh to get more information 
And the media had asked if there was somebody locally uh, who was doing it. And my, my prof had sort of pushed me out in front of the, the media by uh, having me lecture to the uh, largest, uh, in the lecture to, to the largest hall in the, the university, which is like 500 people, about what I had heard from all the, the uh, witnesses. And I sort of became overnight the, uh, the UFO guy. And it, it's been quite an interesting ride. A little bit uh, after that, I uh, published my uh, first book in the, uh, uh, in the early 90s. And uh, I, you know, I've done some TV shows, uh, you know, like yourself. Uh, uh, I, you know, I, I was actually on the original Unsolved Mysteries, uh, talking about some Canadian reports and cases. So I, I, I've sort of been involved and immersed, and I'm fascinated with the UFO phenomenon and my background in, in astronomy and comes from a scientific perspective that you know I don't think we have any proof that the aliens are here there's some interesting evidence that suggests that something unusual is going on I'm a bit of a doubting Thomas but I call a spade a spade if something seems to have an explanation uh, I will say hey that's a good explanation or a bad explanation but at the same time, there are cases uh, that are unusual. And in about the 1988, 89, um, I took it upon myself to uh, create what I called the Canadian UFO Survey. And I worked with researchers across Canada uh, to combine all the data that had been reported to various groups and organizations. So I had a snapshot of what really was being reported as UFOs. And, you know, we, there was stuff that was on, in, uh, on TV and radio and in tabloids and magazines and books. But what were people really seeing? What was really being reported? So I, I gathered up the data and we started publishing the Canadian UFO Survey, which is now in its 33rd year, 32nd year, something like that. Um, and we've amassed something like 25,000 separate UFO reports from Canada over that 30-year period. And it's not just reports from the average person, uh, the person on the street, but um, going into the government documents a little bit, uh, Canada, the Canadian government has a quite an interesting record of investigating and uh, recording UFO reports. Um, you know, it, there, Canada actually had two uh, UFO projects itself, um, your listeners might know of them, uh, Project Magnet and Project Second Story. They were concurrent with the early Blue Book in the 50s. And um, in about the 1966-ish period, uh, the Royal Canadian Air Force, which had been the, the main body that was investigating the UFOs at the time, uh, w they had sort of sided with Blue Book and saying that there really isn't anything uh, of defense interest or security interest uh, in the UFOs. So they sort of wanted to shuffle it off onto somebody. So they, they convinced something called the National Research Council of Canada, which is kind of the equivalent of the Smithsonian, I suppose, uh, a scientific body that was very national. And uh, the National Research Council took on the task of uh, taking the UFO reports, uh, having things reported to them. They were interested primarily in looking for meteorites. And the idea was that a lot of the lights in the sky that were called UFOs were actually meteors. And if you had enough triangulation of points, you could find the meteorites on the ground. That's why they were investigating UFOs. And what's curious is the National Research Council of Canada itself didn't really have a lot of scientists um, uh, on board. Uh, they had some, but you know, Canada's pretty large, just like the United States. They needed a, an organization or a body that you know, had offices pretty well everywhere. So they actually enlisted the help of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police uh, because there are detachments right across the country and in, in many, many uh, towns and cities. And so the Royal Canadian Mounted Police investigated UFO reports from the citizens and also, um, uh, you know, some professionals uh, and fed them through the National Research Council. And so there was this body of documented UFO reports from the, from the investigations of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and from the analysis of the National Research Council to about 1995 when things changed. And I'll get to that uh, a little bit later. But, you know, from after Blue Book, uh, died, there still were these reports that were being investigated by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the National Research Council, and as a matter of fact, the, the Royal Canadian Air Force was still involved. 
uh, because there were reports from military personnel that were finding their way through too. So, uh, and we have these documents. As a matter of fact, uh, the Library and Archives Canada, which is the equivalent again of, I suppose, the National Archives in, uh, in Washington, um, uh, you know, collected these, these papers and reports and they digitized uh, about 9,000 of them and made them available uh, to the public in Canada. And so a lot of people, including you, I notice you have them on your site and a few other people have them. So there's like 9,000 documents uh, which, you know, herald the, the UFO investigation era of Canada from 1947. And I think the digitization stopped in about 1981-82. But of course, the investigations and the documentation continued after that point. But, you know, think about it, 9,000 pages of documents uh, on UFOs in government files is nothing to sneeze at, really. Yeah, and I know what documents you're talking about, and I want to jump in really quick just to clarify something. So post-Project Blue Book, they, they, meaning Canada, continued the investigations. Was there a reason why? Was there a scope that they publicly would announce? Was it a national security interest? Was it a, you know, was it something else? I, I mean, what was the reason? Because after 22 years, the U.S. says, not nope, waste of time, there's nothing there, uh, whether that's a lie or real or not, mm -hmm. it, it, regardless of that. What was Canada's mindset? Did they feel that there was much more to this? Well, because the National Research Council was the body investigating, they looked at UFOs as a scientific problem, not the defense problem that the Royal Canadian Air Force was looking at. So because they're treating it in a slightly different way, uh, they're trying to come up with uh, other explanations. There was uh, some studies of uh, uh, that were done by um, uh, the University of Toronto Institute for Aerospace Studies, for example, in from space science perspective. Uh, so there were there was a different perspective and it wasn't from defense it was from a scientific viewpoint and that is a pretty different uh, approach when you think about it between the blue book approach and then something later as a matter of fact i'd have to say that the scientific approach is more akin to what we're seeing now from for example the galileo project getting scientists involved and yet scientists had been involved in canada throughout uh, the 60s into uh, the mid-1990s so what was keeping them involved in this from that scientific perspective? What, what are you seeing in the documents or, or maybe hearing from, uh, from those scientists? Uh, what, what was it that kept them going? Well, they considered it a scientific problem. Um, and they were convinced that if they could educate the public enough uh, about what these UFOs were, and certainly many of them were turning out to be stars and planets and, and satellites and whatever, um, that they were doing a service to the Canadian public by educating uh, the population. So it was kind of a, an education approach. Um, and that's what kept many of them going, but they got really jaded towards the end. And by the 1980s, uh, the amount of investigation that was actually occurring had dropped off quite considerably. And by looking through some of the documents, some of the exchanges between uh, the investigating uh, scientists and the researchers and the public, uh, you could tell that there was some sort of um, a little bit of snarkiness, uh, a little bit of uh, uh, discord brewing. And as a matter of fact, uh, some of the public uh, sort of rose up and said, what's, the, what's wrong with uh, these government officials telling us that uh, what we're seeing is nothing more than stars and planets? We know what we've seen. Uh, we know stars and planets when we when we see them. As a matter of fact, they're probably trying to cover something up. And this actually was a source or an, an, one of the origins of the conspiracy theories. Uh, and unfortunately, some of it came from Canada. I know that you said that you obviously have a scientific background. Are the same reasonings applying to you, meaning that you felt that there was maybe an educational aspect to this to help the people? What, what kept Chris going uh, since mm. the 1970s to today? Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I find the UFO phenomenon fascinating. Um, and when I say that, I mean not just the reports, but the books, the zines, the conferences, the everything from the average person on the street witness to the contactees, to the way that the scientific establishment uh, is treating uh, the UFO phenomenon. 
I, I find it as a as a social issue, a, a psychological issue. In fact, I, I've said in, in one of my uh, uh, books uh, that if UFOs are not uh, ultimately a physical phenomenon, uh, they are at the very least a social or a psychological phenomenon. And in any of those cases, it's worth investing some uh, research and some money to, to study it more carefully because it, it really affects uh, a, a lot of people. When you think about it, the polls have so shown that about 10% of the North American population, Canada and the United States, believe they've seen a UFO. That's a significant number. And uh, that suggests that, uh, you know, if there's something going on, uh, we should be looking at it a little more carefully. So I have to ask the million dollar question comes up all the time, you know, in chat rooms and social media and so on, especially those that aren't acquainted with UFOs as much as maybe you and I are. The question mark always leans towards, hey, is it alien? You know, is there that extraterrestrial uh, route to the cause of these phenomena? I, I use plural or, or the phenomenon. Let me ask you uh, before we kind of dive deeper into the evidence and what you've seen. Is is that still a possibility to you? Are you convinced of that possibility? Or do you feel that there are a lot of fascinating aspects to this, but aliens is probably last on the list? Hmm. Well, I mean, I'm certainly a doubting Thomas. Uh, there's no question of that. But at the same time, um, my astronomy background, you know, talking with other my, my colleagues, uh, you know, the, the usual argument, stars are so far away, if they have uh, planets with life, you know, it's hard to get here from there. We don't have any evidence that interstellar travel is possible. But, you know, I, I side with the, the group that says, yes, but our sun is an average star. And if there is a star uh, that's maybe a little bit older than our sun, let's say, you know, let's be conservative and say 500,000 years to a million years, um, a planet orbiting that uh, that star might have a little bit of a jump on us. And perhaps if there's a civilization on that planet, it's not that they will have been able to break the laws of physics, but they might be able to bend them in ways that we can't quite conceive of at this point and be able to travel between the stars. So it's a possibility, uh, but I don't see uh, any, you know, real strong evidence that they are here. There's no question that some of the UFO reports and some of the cases are very puzzling, um, but that doesn't automatically mean that the aliens are here. And I've, you know, I've talked to many abductees. I actually had a uh, abductee support group for a while uh, uh, during the the eighties and into the nineties. And you know, I I understand. I've uh, sat and t listened to many people tell me their stories. I understand the implications. I understand the the arguments either way, uh, but I just don't think we have the absolute proof yet to make that quantum leap and say that uh, the aliens are definitely here. But I got to prod you a little bit. Over 40 years, how, what, do, you, do you know the exact count? I was just kind of rough estimating from the, uh, I don't know when in the 70s, but you know, we're over 40 years you've been in this field, right? Mm -hmm. Something has to, I mean, I'm curious too. And, and I totally get that aspect of it. And I'm only at 26 years. I'm approaching 26 years in this and uh, researching it. Um, what would you say is keeping you here that long? I mean, curiosity can only take you so far, or is it truly only that? Well, it's not only curiosity. I'm fascinated by it. Um, I, I uh, take it as a personal challenge to uh, look at cases that come my way. I'm interested in the statistics. I guess one of the, the things that keeps me going is that I try to cut through uh, a lot of the nonsense that's out there. Um, be, when I said at the beginning I'm a science writer, my, my day job is actually uh, writing science articles and digesting and uh, um, you know, simmering down some scientific concepts that might be published in Nature or New Scientist or Scientific American and um, making them a little more palatable to the average layperson so that they have a better understanding of science. So I'd like to, um, you know, try and present and liaise with the scientific community that there is something interesting going on with regard to UFOs. Uh, I've actually published uh, a number of articles in peer-reviewed journals. That, that seems to be what 
what some people are interested in, in these days. So I've actually already done that. Um, and I've been trying to look at the actual data and I've been uh, working with individuals uh, such as Jeff Dittman here in Canada, uh, crunching the data to try and find, is there anything really meaty in uh, the UFO phenomenon reports? And there are some interesting cases, as I mentioned, uh, and the Canadian UFO, UFO survey by itself, there's something like, I don't know, 750 to about 1,000 UFO reports in Canada alone every year. Um, and a small percentage of those are uh, unexplained. Uh, let's say 1 or 2 or 5%, something like that. But when you're looking at a body of 30 years worth, 25,000 reports, you're looking at a few hundred reports now that are interesting enough to take a closer look at. And some of them are well documented. Um, and what I've found is that uh, when I look into some of the document stuff, the, the, the research that's been uh, done and the investigations that have been done previously, there's some meat in there. And, uh, it, you know, it's, uh, there are some intriguing questions. And so from a scientific standpoint, I want to know what was uh, seen, what was re reported. How did the scientific community approach this? And, um, you know, is, is there a way to present this material uh, to the greater scientific community so that, um, you know, they can embrace it and understand it a little bit more? I know the audience uh, kind of perked up when you said peer review. Would you mind giving a brief overview? Is that the, is that the survey that you've been talking about that's peer reviewed or was it another paper or papers? No, I've actually published in peer-reviewed journals, um, a couple of them, as a matter of fact. Uh, the, there's a journal called Perceptual Motor Skills, which is a psychology journal. Uh, and I've also uh, had a, uh, a letter published in a, a medical journal about uh, uh, UFO experiences. Um, and uh, I've actually published in astronomy journals uh, on, uh, on the topics related to UFOs, lunar transient phenomena and things like that. So. Uh, you know, I, I've been trying to uh, look at the UFO phenomenon from a scientific perspective and putting my money where my mouth is, saying, okay, here's scientific community. This is what, uh, uh, you know, you should be taking a look at and uh, studying a, a little bit more. So let's zero in on that. What should they be looking at? Is this based on documents that you've received from the Canadian government? Uh, some of it is related to Canadian government documents, absolutely. Um, some new developments, and your uh, viewers and listeners might know uh, that uh, some Canadian politicians have recently come out of the closet, so to speak, with regard to UFOs, um, have made uh, presentations and stood up uh, in parliamentary committees, the Canadian Parliament uh, version of Congress, um, and said that we're concerned about UAPs, and that there should be a you know a concerted effort to understand what uh, how many UAPs there are, uh, what's the nature of them, and you know considering uh, what uh, what is being done to study them, and uh, to approach them from a, a more rigorous manner. And the Canadian government turns out to actually be taking things seriously. Uh, quite recently, uh, just last year, as a matter of fact. Um, there was a briefing made to uh, the Canadian Defence Minister on what the Canadian government was doing with regard to UFOs. And this actually spun out of what was going on in the United States with regard to the uh, UAP task force. Um, there had been obviously some questions uh, among the uh, Canadian military and politicians about what was going on. And um, Canadian Ministers of Defence are kind of like the Secretary of Defence. Um, and they, they come and go a little bit faster than the, the secretaries of defense, though. Um, and there was a new one that was just coming into power uh, in uh, 2021. And uh, uh, his staff uh, was asked to give him a briefing on the state of UFO investigations and UFO research in Canada. Uh, and um, I had actually been contacted by the, uh, uh, the Canadian forces and the Ministry of Defense um, for information about this uh, because I had been keeping track of the UFO phenomenon for some time. I had actually been at the National Research Council uh, working with some of the astronomers, so my name I had been associated with UFOs. Uh, and so they, they quoted me in, in this briefing, and I had actually had never seen this briefing, 
uh, until somebody filed uh, an access to information request. And in Canada, they're out called access to information. In the United States, they're freedom of information uh, requests. And they had filed for the briefing. And they didn't get the briefing. They got the, um, the PowerPoint slides uh, from the briefing. And I was actually mentioned on one of the PowerPoint slides uh, uh, by the, uh, you know, by the Defense Department, you know, briefing the Ministry of Defense, which was kind of cool, I suppose. And um, they talked about how that, how many cases there were, what the, the history of the uh, investigations had been, and basically what I had told you uh, earlier in this podcast. And that was the status as of June 2021. And since then, uh, you know, there, some additional politicians have come out. Um, and in Canada, I have to also note that um, the UAPs are still called UFOs in Canada. Uh, as a matter of fact, so labeled what, correctly is what you're saying. The Canadians are doing the it Canadians right. are very proper. Yeah, this you're is good. You know, this is what we're doing. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, in 1995, uh, the National Research Council itself got out of the UFO business because it was going to be a line item in their budget. And they didn't want to see UFO investigations as part of their budget, so they figured, what are we going to do? So I actually had been in the National Research Council in Ottawa uh, visiting with some uh, astronomy colleagues, and they, they were mentioning that what are they going to do about the UFOs, and I said, well, you can always send them to me. I'm, I'm interested in the subject. And that was the last I heard of it until about 1999 when I started getting the UFO reports, and these were reports uh, sent to military bases, some from uh, military personnel themselves, some from uh, the general public, uh, and documenting, uh, you know, what people had been seeing. And I included them, as a matter of course, in my Canadian UFO survey. So since, uh, you know, I began the Canadian UFO survey, I've actually been including the National Research Council UFO reports and then the ones that had been coming to me uh, directly. So we actually have a complete record of um, UFO reports in Canada from 1947 to now. Um, many of them coming from government documents uh, from the National Research Council, from uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and then uh, in 2000, uh, another organization called Transport Canada, which is the equivalent of the FAA, uh, started being responsible for the UFOs and there's actually a, a form that pilots can fill out uh, in Canada where it says if you see a, basically if you see a UFO, you know, tell us about it and it's filed as an incident report. And so those reports are, are uh, available as well. So we, we, it's interesting that, you know, throughout these iterations of various organizations and government departments, we have a continuous record of UFO investigations at one level or another in some depth or another. Uh, right from the, the dawn of the early uh, beginning of flying saucers to now. And uh, I've made this point, and people have criticized me for it, that I think Canada has sort of been ahead of the curve uh, in terms of the United States uh, on this, because we have these documents, uh, and they are available, and we've been analyzing the, the data uh, all along. And what do we know about what's been happening in the United States after Blue Book? I mean, people like Paul Dean and yourself and a, and a few others have found some documents here and there, but we don't have a continuous record up until, you know, uh, some of the revelations uh, that came out just uh, a few years ago when it was discovered that there was a project between 2007 and 2012 that ran, but we don't know exactly the details. We don't know the cases. Even the UAP task force report that came out last year, we don't know what those reports actually were. We don't know what was seen. We don't know where they were seen from and and yet we have here in Canada a an, an pretty substantial record of cases and Canada does share um, responsibility in NORAD of course with the United States so there's some bleeding back and forth and I I suspect that NORAD uh, you know has full access to what the Canadians have if so that must mean that the Americans must have uh, what has been coming through Canada and we don't have don't have that information at all I want to go back when you were saying, and, and correct me if I'm paraphrasing this wrong, but essentially that the Canadian government was sharing the UFO reports they were getting directly with you, right? And and is that still going on, or are they kind of shifting how they're investigating these things here in 2022? 
Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, once it came out that I had been receiving the Canadian or the, the UFO reports through National Defense, a bell might have rang off somewhere <laughs> in, in Ottawa and somebody said, exactly why are we giving a civilian uh, access to some of these reports? And so I would say that most of the, the cases that I've uh, received uh, dried up a, a, about at, about that time. So, and when was uh, that? What when did that dry up? When they it, probably in in the mid nineteen uh, mid twenty twenty one. I gotcha. Oh wow, yeah. somewhat recently. Somewhat so, recently, yeah. So, how many cases do you think prior to the dry up did they send over to you? Oh well, um, well, there's several levels. Um, the uh, the Transport Canada files themselves. I have somewhere around 500 cases between 2005 and 2020. Um, and uh, I have probably oh, another 500, 600 um, between uh, mid-1995 until now. Uh, and there's probably some overlap in there. So it's one of the projects that I'm working on is uh, trying to uh, take a good look at these, scan them, and I'm trying to make them available. As a matter of fact, um, I had hoped that by today I would be able to announce that uh, uh, at least some of the missing years of the National Research Council files that hadn't been made public yet uh, might be uploaded. Um, and I've been going through doing things like taking out witnesses' names and phone numbers and things like that so that uh, everybody can have access to these. And it's a, quite a slow process. Concurrently with all this, um, I was asked by the University of Manitoba about five years ago uh, what I was going to be doing with all my UFO files and my collection of UFO books and zines and whatnot. Um, and I, I said, I, I'm not sure exactly. They said, well, would you consider donating them to the archives? And this was all about the same time when you know, the the acquisition of archives of, of UFO materials was really starting to go into high gear. Um, uh, certainly Jan Aldrich and uh, Barry uh, Greenwood and people like that have been doing this for some time. Recently, um, um, uh, Mar uh, David Marler has been doing some of this and, and collecting uh, vast materials and it's send, you know sending a lot of them to uh, to Sweden to their collections out there. Uh, but the University of Manitoba had asked me uh, for mine, and so I have actually been donating uh, all of my UFO files and all of my books and zines. As a matter of fact, you can see behind me, there's not very many books on these bookcases uh, because uh, just two days ago, I donated the last of my UFO books to the university archives. Um, and so they have all my... Uh, documents and uh, UFO reports and, and books and zines and so forth. Uh, and they're, you know, going to be digitizing it slowly. Uh, I mean, Stan Friedman's uh, collection has been donated to the government of New Brunswick, uh, their archives, and the archivist there said that it's probably going to take 10 to 15 years just to index what Stan Friedman has. I have no idea how much, <laughs> how long it's going to take for the University of Manitoba to do mine. I have a lot less than stands, but it's pretty substantial. <laughs> wow, uh, that's good to hear, though that that eventually this stuff will be digitized, or that's the the aim. So that's good. Um, I want to take you back to the files a little bit. Obviously, you've collected quite a bit over the years, and I want to kind of hone in on um, either something you covered in the book. I'll let you take the lead here, but when it comes to the government files. Do you have a top one, two, or three cases that make you go, wow? Hmm. Well, I'm going to have to talk about Falcon Lake, no question of that. Uh, for people who don't know it, um, you should Google up, Google the Falcon Lake UFO report. Um, and in, uh, in 1967, it was actually the, the reason I was actually on Unsolved Mysteries the first time. Uh, they recreated it. And the idea was back in 1967, a fellow was doing some amateur prospecting, was a bit of a rock hound, and um, he went into the bush, and this was May of 1967, uh, he encountered a Hollywood-style flying saucer, for lack of a better description, 
Uh, it had landed. He touched the side of it. A blast of hot gas came out the out of the side of it uh, when it took off. Um, set his clothes on fire. Left marks on the ground. The usual, you know, trace case that type of thing. Um, this fellow was uh, examined. He was t at, at an emergency room in a hospital. Uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police investigated. The uh, uh, Royal Canadian Air Force investigated. And uh, their investigations amounted to something like three or four hundred pages that we now have. And we have all those documents ranging from interrogation of the witness to uh, uh, discussion with where he's, he worked, interviews with the family, uh, analysis. There were site visits uh, out to this place. And what's curious, you have, it has basically all the things you would want in a UFO case. Uh, a witness who could talk about what happened. There were materials found at the site. As a matter of fact, radioactivity was found at the site and the material was analyzed by the Canadian government. The site and the investigation was, was done by the Canadian military, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. The documents are available. Um, this fellow was physically injured. We have the medical records from, uh, from the studies of this fellow. And in addition, um, a year later, he went back uh, to visit the site kind of for old time's sake um, and dug down a little bit in the rock over uh, which this UFO had hovered and found some radioactive uh, metal uh, that he brought back. And that radioactive metal was analyzed by the University of Chicago. Uh, I think Arizona looked at it, certainly some Canadian institutions. And that metal is also radioactive. And that piece of that metal is still in existence, has never been mentioned in any of the discussions of, you know, crash retrievals from UFOs. And yet the analysis was done starting in 1968. And there have been a number of analyses done over the years um, and has been in investigated and studied three ways from Sunday. And everybody should know about this case because it has all the details that you would want in a, in a really good UFO case. I'm not very familiar with it. So if you don't mind the potentially ignorant question, when they did the analysis on the material beyond the radioactivity, what was the the makeup of the, was it aluminum? Was it what, like, what, 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 what was it? Did it match this up anything? A, yeah, it's a very strange uh, thing. It's almost pure silver. Um, and when I say pure silver, I mean pure silver. People have said, well, you know, there's silver veins and stuff like that in this particular area because it's the Canadian shield and so forth. No, no, this wasn't silver ore. This was pure silver that is radioactive. Um, and uh, the site is actually uh, fairly isolated. In fact, um, the easiest way to get to the site, believe it or not, is by horseback. Uh, sort of mini mule train. It's accessible to the public. As a matter of fact, you can take a horseback ride. It's our Canada's mini Roswell. There's some souvenir stands that you can get uh, t-shirts and whatnot, and you can take a horseback ride to the site. Um, but uh, the material is, is very, very puzzling. And why there would be melted silver, radioactive silver in a crack in a rock um, you know, a mile from civilization, I don't know. Uh, now, does the case prove that aliens exist? No. Mm -hmm. uh, is there evidence that it's a hoax? Well, no, because the fellow never made any money. Uh, he wasn't trying to get famous. As a matter of fact, he shunned publicity. Uh, and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and the uh, Royal Canadian Air Force both said in their final reports that they could not explain the case. Uh, it's also included, by the way, um, in the Condon report. Um, and uh, but uh, Condon report uh, had a different take on it. They were fairly convinced it was a hoax, simply because, well, what else could it be? That's the easy fallback on anything, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Um, but so there's a difference of opinion between the Canadians and Americans. I have to side with Canada, of course. Um, but it's a very strange case. So those documents, and as I mentioned, there's three or four hundred pages of these documents. Um, and it's uh, it's certainly one of the best documented UFO cases. Not just one of the cases that uh, you know we've looked at over the years. Um, there are many, many others. In in fact, in my, uh, Wait, my but before, but, and, and I don't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. Sure. But sure. one last question before we do move on to another case. Where's the piece now? 
Um, or can you say my well yeah is it behind you on that is is it on the bookcase is that what we're it's it's not on this bookcase (laughs) let me just say that okay (laughs) all right the next room gotcha yeah (laughs) um but is it so so joking aside can you say i'm like it do you well again i'm not trying to push too much if you can't say you can't say but do you have it or is it at a university yeah we do have as a matter of fact um some of the artifacts uh, from this particular case have already been given to the uh, archives. Um, the actual uh, undershirt that this uh, fellow had been wearing when it got blasted uh, by the by the UFO uh, that was retrieved. It's still intact. Well, kind of intact mm-hmm. as as undershirts from 1967. I mean, I have undershirts that old. They're fine, but um, <laughs> 1967. They're a little. It's a little tattered. But you can see the, the burn marks on it, um, his cap that he was wearing, um, and a few other artifacts, plus the metal. And, you know, that's all going to be going to, uh, to archives. Um, the metal was studied, uh, was put through an electron microscope. I'm trying to remember whether it was two years ago. It was, yeah, just before the pandemic, so I guess three years ago. Um, and uh, uh, there's no question, you know, it's, it's definitely silver. And... Uh, uh, it's certainly radioactive. Was there anything unique about the burn marks? Uh, I don't know if those were analyzed. And yeah, the burn marks are quite interesting because on the side of the um, this craft, there was kind of an exhaust vent, like you would find, uh, you know, with 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 holes in it and whatever. Um, and when the, this gas was blasted out of this exhaust vent, when the thing took off, the pattern of the burns on his body. Uh, and on the shirt matched fairly well, and um, it's uh, yeah, people have said, well, he was burned by radiation. Well, no, he wasn't burned by the radiation. In fact, the radiation is is very unusual uh, to to find because um, you know he was actually taken for a full body count to uh, a nuclear uh, facility here in Canada, uh, where he was you know not radioactive, uh, but. Uh, the some of the soil and material from the site uh, had been radioactive. As a matter of fact, um, some of the documents uh, that we've found uh, show that um, the Royal Canadian Air Force's um, uh, laboratory was unable to ship the material from one part of the country to the other because it was so radioactive. And then there's another document that shows that uh, there had been some discussion about um, cordoning off this entire area, which happens to be in kind of a uh, a resort area, uh, not where he where he was, but to, to get to it, you'd have to go through a resort area. Um, and they were going to close off the resort area for this entire summer uh, to protect the population uh, out of a concern for safety. So, you know, the, the radiation is a significant part of the story, uh, but he himself was not burned by radiation. And before we move on, because I want to ask you about other cases as well, but after 50 plus years, nothing like a classified platform piece of technology, something either American, Canadian or whatever, has ever been presented as something that could take kind of credit for this incident. I mean, is there anything that's come along that makes sense to you from a skeptical standpoint? Like, oh, okay, maybe this is it. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the, um, this fellow was was quite unique in terms of uh, UFO experiencers because he never talked in terms of aliens. Um, he had a military background himself, and he was convinced that he had seen some kind of secret military landing vertical takeoff craft. Um, and this was 67, so this was just at the beginning of Apollo. In fact, I think the tragic... Uh, um, Apollo 1 accident it wasn't called Apollo 1 of course but I, I think the accident occurred just previous to this and so it was in the news that that their uh, NASA was going to the moon and so you know he thought that's what this thing was because he said you know what else could it be it, it's some mm-hmm. sort of metallic craft he said it, it certainly looked like uh, um, the, the side was some sort of some sort of burnished metal couldn't see any rivets uh, there were lights coming out of it so he said it must be some sort of a an American uh, craft of some sort, uh, and yet, you know, nothing matching the description uh, has been seen before or since. Uh, the argument is, if NASA could do this, why did they waste so much time on Saturn V's? 
um, that type of thing. There was something called the Avro Car, uh, which mm -hmm. was produced in Canada, um, and uh, uh, some viewers might be familiar with it. It was it was the the flying pancake uh, mm -hmm. that had been developed. But it never um, got more than three feet off the ground, did it? Yeah, yeah. It it really didn't work very well. Some people had suggested there might have been a secret program that continued developing it, uh, and that's what we were seeing. But, you know, there hadn't been another sighting of anything like this, of this description of this uh, configuration. So if it was a, a secret craft, we simply don't know what kind it was. We don't have any proof that it was aliens. And the uh, the possibility of a hoax uh, is is always there, but we you know it would be of the caliber of of uh, I don't know Barnum and Bailey because it's mm -hmm. it's certainly one of the most elaborate contrived on record, and the fellow certainly didn't profit from any of this. So uh, it's a it's one of those that we simply have to classify as unexplained at this time. It's also intriguing if the hoax comes up in the discussion that he didn't jump to aliens or something fantastic mm -hmm. like that and extraordinary that he rather tried to stay a little bit close to earth pardon the pun but yeah, yes, with his exactly. explanation so that yeah. that's always an intriguing part of any story but let alone that one uh, but with that um fascinating case is there any others that stick out in your mind that uh, that that really kind of show you that this phenomenon is is worth studying well the fact that the canadian government itself thought that uh, cases were worth studying uh, is worth noting. Uh, and one set of documents that we found uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the archives was something called the Robertson um, uh, briefing, not the Robertson report, okay. that people in ufology know, but something called the Robertson briefing. There was a, uh, a military personnel named uh, uh, Robertson and he was asked to prepare a document very similar to what happened with me in 2021, uh, but he had been asked to prepare uh, a briefing for the chief of defense staff, which was the, the person who's directly in contact with the Ministry of Defense, gives him all the information, tells him what's going on in, in Canada. Um, and the, the Minister of Defense at that time was a fellow named Leo Cadieu, who had just taken over from somebody uh, that UFO fans will know, Paul Hellyer, um, who was Minister of Defense up until that time. But uh, Hellyer had left and Cadieu had come in, and the Chief of Defense Staff wanted to brief Leo Cadieu on what the military knew about UFOs. And so um, he produced a 28-page briefing document um, describing the, what Canada knew about UFOs, described what was going on in the States, and then described the number of cases that had been reported in Canada, the number of cases that they thought were really good, and listed six reports and six cases that the Canadian military had investigated that they could not explain. Um, that's in this particular document. One of them was the one, it was the case that I just mentioned, the Falcon Lake case. Uh, and there were uh, five others, including a, a radar case uh, that uh, that came from a, a radar base here in Manitoba, oddly enough. But there are a number of other cases that were evaluated and found that they, they couldn't explain. This was the Canadian government mm -hmm. couldn't explain out of all the cases uh, that uh, they had been receiving. And so that went into this briefing document. And the reverse of the 2021, we have the briefing document but not the slides that went with them. So um, it's, uh, uh, and we've tried to locate them. We filed uh, to try and get the slides because among them were maps and photos and that type of thing, but they've been, uh, they haven't found them, but we have the briefing document. And uh, it's very curious that, you know, we, we, that the Canadian government had been doing some pretty intense investigations back in, uh, in the 1960s and into the seventies. And, and certainly after that, in the last 10, 15 minutes or so that I have with you, I want to make sure that I get into kind of the present day ufology. We've established you've got an amazing background to yourself and, and you've been around a long time. When it comes to the overall conversation right now, how do you feel about it? Do you feel that 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 this topic is moving forward in a good direction or bad? Hmm. 
Well, I find it intriguing that there's a lot of interest in now from uh, in the United States regarding a, a congressional investigation. Uh, now, I caution people that Gerald Ford lobbied for a congressional investigation into UFOs before he was president. Um, he went back in 1966. Uh, the investigation occurred in 1968, and then the following year, Blue Book was canceled. Um, so be careful what you wish for, first of all. Um, secondly, what we've heard so far is that there, you know, there appears to be some desire to investigate UAPs. Uh, and for uh, some of, to make an allowance for military personnel to come forward without any stigma. And um, as we understand it, you know, they, there's like 400 cases now that have um, been presented, uh, but a lot of them are historical that people sort of had been hanging on to and couldn't tell anybody. Um, and so we don't actually have the really good data that people are looking for. I mean, there's a push now for instrumented observations uh, whether you're looking at uh, the, the NICAP's MADAR nodes or to uh, whatever Avi Loeb is, and his group are planning to do. Um, and certainly MUFON has uh, some, you know, instrumented uh, work that's being worked on right now too. Whether those will actually be uh, in sufficient number uh, to actually, uh, you know, allow some instrumented observations of UFOs, I'm not sure. There's certainly all sky cameras uh, that have been going for many, many years uh, throughout North America and around the world. Um, and there have been some you know, odd lights that have been detected on those. Uh, so I kind of already have instrumented detections, but I, I understand the need for for more instrumented detection. But I'm, I'm concerned that there would be a, a, some view of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, that we have, well, just Canada, 25,000 uh, reports from both military personnel and civilians uh, of UFOs. Um, and if that's not considered valid data for, you know, for science to examine, uh, that's a concern because, you know, it is data. Uh, one has to only go back a few years relatively to note that, you know, when Sputnik uh, was launched, um, the United States relied on civilian observers to, uh, to keep track of what, when Sputnik was flying overhead and using amateur radar, amateur radio operators to keep track of its beeping. So civilians played a very important uh, role in that. Um, and certainly with regard to uh, aerospace, um, with the development of the pumpkin seed and other stealth aircraft, uh, civilian um, uh, aircraft spotters were uh, providing valuable data uh, with regard to how these aircraft are flying. And, uh, you know, the civilians play a very important part in the, the nature of observations of unusual objects uh, in, uh, in our airspace. Uh, in the case of Transport Canada, and I've made the case a number of times that uh, they're asking pilots to report UFOs, and there are many reports of pilots seeing lights moving around uh, their aircraft, um, uh, structured objects that may or may not be drones or who knows what, but um, things that appear on radar that shouldn't be there and things that, uh, uh, that aren't on radar that should be there. And, um, you know, whether the uh, traffic collision avoidance systems are going off when there's nothing around, does that mean that um, there's some problem with the technology, or is there a problem with the pilots? Uh, if so, you know, these are aircraft and commercial aircraft are flying hundreds and hundreds of people on every flight. Is there a, a safety factor? Are people in danger because there's something wrong with the pilots if they're reporting UFOs uh, that aren't there, or the, the, the devices themselves are malfunctioning? Uh, I, I think this argues that there should be a greater um, uh, attempt uh, for science and, and other uh, uh, other uh, faculties to, to investigate and study the UFO phenomenon. So I'm hoping that with an increased interest and an attempt from the United States military and hopefully from the Canadian military and other military uh, uh, organizations around the world, that we'll be gathering enough data that perhaps we can come to some better understanding of the UFO phenomenon. So that's where I'd like to go. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that the civilian uh, aspect is going to be part of it. 
I hope so too. The one thing that I talk a lot about on my my channel, and I kind of want to juxtapose it with your thoughts about what's going on in Canada, is despite what the general public thinks, that even though Congress is is uttering the words UAP or the acronym UAP and the words unidentified flying object or so on, all of that is great. But we've established that we're really not going to get a lot of data, us, the general public. The public report last year was kind of silly. There was still some gems here and there, but we really didn't learn much of what was already being bantered about. We just got a couple statistics and we don't know what these things are. And there's some cool attributes that we can't explain. That's mm -hmm. pretty much it, right? right? We don't have anything more than that. But I think the general public thinks this is some new path to a disclosure, that there's a newfound transparency to this conversation. And I guess in a way you can argue that, but for me, I see it deepening. The security classification guide here in America pretty much shows that anything related to UAP is going to be classified secret and top secret uh, right off the bat. So the secrecy, in my opinion, is strengthening, it's deepening. And, and even though we're hearing UFO and UAP more, doesn't necessarily mean there's transparency. I don't think we've had the conversation uh, before today where the mid-2021, you kind of saw those reports stop. I was always encouraged by that level of transparency in Canada that they were taking in reports from a government and or military level and giving it to somebody like you that was in the private sector, a civilian, and somebody who would actually do something with it and mm -hmm. could contribute to the conversation. Yeah, so and I think that's, sorry, go ahead, sorry. No, 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 and, and that's where I wanted to throw it back to you is, can you juxtapose Canada's stance right now to America's, which, and this is just my opinion, is deepening secrecy. Is Canada doing the same thing? Well, again, because Canada shares NORAD or is partnered with NORAD with the United States, I think there's there's gonna be some, some overflow from one side to the other. Um, and it is interesting that you know uh, up until 2021, I was getting these uh, these confidential reports uh, and doing something with them because uh, in the private sector, I think that's that's the advantage of the private sector. We can do things. We have many many resources, um, and by you know conferring with colleagues, we can uh, you know certainly advance the uh, the knowledge in this particular field. Um, and I, I'm. I, I suspect that even though, um, it, it, you know, my my source of uh, of UAP and UFO information has dried up from one uh, aspect. Um, there's no question that because Canadian politicians are now moving forward on this as well, that um, there's going to be some pressure on the Canadian government to do something, and uh, something not necessarily. Uh, in conjunction with the United States. I think there's some, certainly some national pride that has to be involved here. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the Canadian politicians um, has, uh, has agreed to make a, a public statement uh, at my book launch uh, in September. That's cool. Uh, uh, and I don't know what uh, he's going to say, but uh, it's going to be something uh, about uh, you know, the government's position on UFOs or an encouragement of the government position on UFOs. Um, and I suspect that uh, in the coming weeks, months, years, uh, there will be, uh, you know, some more information. And as a matter of fact, uh, I, there have been, I think, five or six times just over the past year when Canadian politicians have given presentations or asked questions in parliamentary committees about UFOs. Um, I haven't heard that in Congress. Uh, Congress seems to be busy with other things these, these days. I, I don't know what. But um, yeah, at least in Canada... Uh, there have been some questions of the minister in charge of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the minister in charge of the Canadian Security Intelligence Agency, um, and uh, uh, the minister in charge of transport, and therefore, uh, you know, and, and also involved in uh, nuclear capabilities, because there's been some questions about are there UAPs over Canadian nuclear facilities. I was asked to provide a list of UFOs from my 25,000. Uh, database uh, from Canadian nuclear plants for that particular politician. And uh, I found about 50 just concerning one particular nuclear facility. Now, does that mean that aliens are fascinated with Canadian nuclear facilities? No, it simply means that 
that you know there are UAP reports concurrent with the locations of the, these facilities. But it does raise the issue that uh, you know if if there are some cases that are unexplained, which you know are any of these particular cases uh, the ones around nuclear facilities, and that's the ones that the politicians want to know about. So the fifty over the course of what you've collected at first didn't sound impressive, but 50 cases at one nuclear facility? Yeah, that are uh, concurrent with one nuclear facility. So do you have a tally of how many overall of all the nuclear, I don't know how many nuclear uh, facilities there are in Canada, so forget Yeah, me, but... no, um, there's, yeah, I don't know how many there are. There's, 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 um, three or four alone in the province of Ontario. And we did a similar one for one of the other facilities. Um, and there are also, you know, some significant numbers, you know, 20, 30, 40, something like that over that one. But it's related to, um, you know, trees falling in the forest that, you know, the, that um, population distribution is related to UFO reports. So the greater population uh, in a particular area uh, the more that there will be a potential for UFO reports and we get more reports so that there's a concentration of UFO reports coming from populated centers like Toronto um, and Vancouver. And it turns out that uh, at least one of the nuclear facilities uh, happens to be quite close to Toronto. So, you know, it, it's hard to, to say, yes, these nuclear facilities are, are being flown by by UAPs or is it that you know, people are living nearby the nuclear facility and that's why they're seeing UFOs. It's an interesting question, but this just shows you how much potential there is for private sector research and probably military sector research too into the UFO phenomenon. Putting aside the whole alien thing, this is quite interesting and I think it's worth studying. Just to close up that thought on the nuclear facilities, it, it obviously came up in the congressional hearing here in brief when they were talking about that in in your expertise and background going through those you know thousands of reports do those numbers stick out beyond you know potentially just populated areas but did they stick out as weighted to those meaning is that a lot or if i came to you and said chris i want to know how many are near a ballpark you know a stadium Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, would you find 10 times as many or would you find a fraction? Um, that's what I'm trying to kind of yeah. gauge is, does yeah, is, that... it, is it statistically significant? Yeah, and that's we a much actually... more eloquent way to put it than I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and we haven't actually done that. I mean, I, I simply came up with the list and now we have to go back and take a look at them. Um, but... And I, I caution people, you know, when people say that there's a... And in fact, there's a photo that was published on a on a Facebook page just the other day of um, that, that said that there's a, a, you know, this UFO is hovering over this nuclear facility. And what they were... It, the, the object turned out to be the, the planet Saturn um, uh, photographed, uh, uh, you know, over the... And it just happened to be that it was over the direction of the uh, the nuclear facility from the witness. But the interpretation was that the UFO was over the nuclear facility, which it wasn't, obviously. But that's the type of thing we have to be careful of when we hear UFOs seen over nuclear sites. Is it really over the nuclear sites or is it seen in the direction of the nuclear site? And that is something that really has to be taken a closer look at. Here's my last question for you, just out of everything you've collected, but broadening it a little bit. I won't hold you to the exact number, but do you have an idea of those thousands of cases that you've collected? How many you would consider unidentified? Mm -hmm. um, out of the 25,000 in the uh, Canadian UFO survey, um, and I'll just add, that's just from 1989 till now. I also have a body of files from previous to that. <laughs> Um, but just from the 25,000, um, you know, if we're looking at, and I, I think we calculated, uh, let, let's use 1% as a, as a value. You know, you're looking at 250 cases um, over 30 years that are, you know, relatively high quality. Perhaps the witnesses were police um, or pilots. Uh, and there has been some, you know, additional documentation. Perhaps this is a file from the National Research Council or from 
national defense or something like that, or was investigated by myself or one of the many colleagues that uh, uh, are UFO investigators in Canada that uh, that do a you know a pretty decent job. So, you know, two hundred fifty cases that's still enough to work with. That's awesome, Chris. I really enjoyed uh, our conversation as I usually do, but thank you so much for taking the time. For those of you again listening and or watching here on YouTube, Canada's UFOs Declassified, that is Chris's newest. Uh, and Chris, I had no idea how many books you actually did write. I knew you wrote quite a few, but prepping for the show, I kind of looked them up and I had no idea. And they go back 20 years, I think, is when you, if not yeah, this more. Is, this is number 10, the Canada's UFO Declassified. Man, good good for you. I, I've written uh, a couple, but I, I can't even imagine. Excellent. I have them. They're good. They're good. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I'll give you your $10 after. Thank you yeah, for okay, plugging. Right, yeah. um, no, I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, a lot of respect for what you do. And thank you so much. Uh, in closing, is there a website that you can point people to, social media that you prefer? How can people get in contact with you? Uh, sure. I mean, um, I'm uh, I'm on Twitter as Ufology Research. Uh, on Facebook, uh, I'm uh, a, an admin for uh, UFO updates on Facebook, and um, uh, my uh, website for the Canadian UFO Survey is CanadianUFOReport.com, and I have a blog which is Uforum U F O R U M dot blogspot dot com, where I uh, talk about uh, interesting developments in ufology and make available some hitherto unseen ufo documents very very cool and to make sure that the audience gets all that i will ensure that it is all in the show notes if you're not sure where those are if you're on youtube just look below in the description if you are listening on any podcast platform itunes spotify you name it it's under the black vault radio there should be a description there for you to click on all of chris's links and find out more information chris thank you again for your time truly truly appreciate it thank you for having me anytime you're always welcome back and thank you and thank you all for watching and listening this is john greenwell jr signing off and we'll see you next time